Welcome to the Cookery by the Book podcast with me, Susie Chase. I'm J.M. Hirsch. I'm the food editor for the Associated Press, and my cookbook is Beating the Lunchbox Blues. Beating the Lunchbox Blues is an idea book to inspire anyone daunted by the daily ordeal of packing lunch for yourself or your kids. I love this idea because I rarely see a lunch-specific cookbook. Tell us about your cookbook meets flipbook approach. So I wanted to create a book that worked the same way I work in the morning, which is, you know, I wake up, I have my coffee, I try to get my kid dressed, and then I try to see what's in the refrigerator that I can quickly and easily assemble. And so I wanted a book that kind of reflected that feel because that's the reality for everybody in the morning. And so I wanted a book that was was dominated by visuals, something that you don't really need a recipe for the most part, that you can just kind of look at a picture, get an idea, and say, ah, I, I can do this, I've got this, or I can substitute that. I didn't want people to feel hemmed in by my ideas or my recipes. I wanted each page to just be almost a jumble of ideas because, you know, what my kid eats or what I want to eat for lunch isn't going to be what somebody else's kid wants. So I didn't want to prescribe particular lunches. I just wanted to offer up tons of ideas that you could just flip through, look at it and say, oh, I'll combine that with this. I'll do that. I'll I'll grab some of this and just get a lot of ideas. I wanted the kids to be able to flip through it as well and just point at things and say, because let's, I mean, let's face it, when we're talking about kids, there's not a whole lot of attention for the detail of recipes. <laughs> and so it's not like these kids are going to say, you know, daddy, can you please make me some quiche today? And this is what I would like in it. And can you use this recipe? I just wanted to point at pictures and say, hey, how about this? And that reflects the way people actually operate in the morning. Let's start off with planning tips. Should we plan a week's worth of lunches or do you recommend doing day to day? I plan nothing. I mean, I don't <laughs> even plan I don't even plan tomorrow's lunches. Um, I just I have nothing but admiration for people who can plan a week's worth of meals, any meal, doesn't matter which, uh, or people who frankly are ever so slightly insane and cook a month or plan a month's of month of meals ahead of time. I Godspeed to them. I just could not possibly do that in my life. So the, the very simple technique that I use, which is hardly brain surgery, is the night before at dinner, whatever I'm making, and I never decide what I'm making until about five o'clock at night, but whatever I'm making, I make too much of it. Doesn't matter if it's chicken or steak or pasta or, or veggies, doesn't matter. I just make too much of it. And because it's simple, it's no extra work for me to roast a slightly larger chicken or to boil up a little extra pasta or make a slightly larger batch of chili. It's no extra work for me. And then now I throw those leftovers in the refrigerator and the next morning I have the building blocks of a good lunch. And so that, that is my number one tip. Just cook too much at dinner because that's going to get you rolling the next morning. The other thing I suggest, especially when you're dealing with kids, is to save the green bean battles, I call them, for another time. Lunch is not the time to try to impose, you know, eating ideas on kids. You know, you're not there to model good behavior by eating your green beans. Um, your kids are sitting next to their snot-nosed friends and are going to be more influenced by what their friends bring 
for lunch than what you packed them for lunch. You know, I say, have the kid flip through books like this and come up with ideas. Uh, but it needs to be a very simple process. You know, just have them list the sorts of lunches they like. You're going to get a lot more buy-in from, from doing that. Uh, on the other hand, the, other, the flip side of that tip is that I do not believe that lunch is a democracy. I'm not willing to spend half an hour every morning negotiating what I'm going to pack. In fact, I have never once asked my son what he wants for lunch. I go into the refrigerator, I see what I've got, and I say, all right, well, I can, you know, make him a steak wrap or I can make him, you know, do-it-yourself tacos or something like that. I know he'll eat it, but I'm not going to spend half an hour in the morning negotiating it because he's a kid and given a choice he's going to make a bad one, you know, or he's going to want to argue with me or he's going to say, oh, I don't want steak today. I want this. And then and you, then you get into the, the back and forth. Well, we don't have this. How about that? How about this? And, you know, uh, who has the time for that in the morning? So involve them. But again, it's lunch is not a democracy. Back to the dinner thing. I noticed that you have 30 recipes specifically designed for dinners in the cookbook. Yeah. I, and again, I really did not, I aggressively did not want lunch recipes. And because, again, that's just not how we make lunch and pack lunch. But what I wanted to do is give some recipes that you could make for dinner. And the recipes are designed to make too much food. And so if you follow the recipe, you're going to have enough to feed. Usually most of them feed four people uh, for dinner and then have enough for you know two or three leftover servings. And so you know you get things like a, a bacon cauliflower mac and cheese. And it's this delicious mac and cheese. So you make it for dinner night before. It's got veggies built into it and it's really tasty. And then the next morning you could you know pack it in a, pack some leftovers straight up in a thermos but add a bunch of sides that you can toss with it, you know, that you can you know kind of sprinkle over the mac and cheese. Uh, or you can and one of my son's favorite things is take the leftover and now cold mac and cheese and cut it into slices because it gets really solid and put it between slices of bread and make a grilled cheese sandwich. You know, there's all sorts of things like that that are easily repurposed. Chicken is obviously a no-brainer. You know, everybody uh, cooks chicken, you know, usually at least once or twice a week based on the volume that Americans eat of chicken. Yeah. And and it's it's such a no-brainer to, to repurpose cold or hot. You can toss it with anything. And I mean, it, it's so simple. And so... You know, I wanted to just give a couple of basic recipes for dinners, not so much to say here, you should only be making these dinner recipes, but just to kind of help people get in the mindset of, oh, okay, so just cook whatever I want for dinner and just make too much of it. And even if you're, you know, following recipes that aren't designed for this, it's usually pretty simple to scale it up a little bit just to make ever so slightly more, especially things like chilies and soups and things like that. And then, then again, you're already halfway to, to a packed lunch the next morning. In terms of packing it, how do we keep our hot things hot and our cold things cold? Right. Well, let's start with the gear. I mean, children are by nature destructive creatures. And so I am a firm believer in buying only stainless steel. Uh, it, it can be a little pricey. And so if you don't go the stainless steel route, but I like it because it also is dishwasher safe and child safe. And because have you ever seen how kids, you know, carry their lunch boxes yes. at school, you know, and hurl them across the schoolyard? <laughs> you know, yes. I want lunch equipment that is going to survive my son. <laughs> and so, you know, but uh, if you don't go that, then I go in the opposite direction and, and just buy like the cheapest, um, you know, the disposable Tupperware type stuff, because then when it gets lost, who cares, you know? Uh, and it's, you know, you can usually get it at the dollar store really cheap. 
and and they will lose it, of course. And so, but I believe in having lots, whether regardless of what they're made out of, I believe in having lots of little containers and because it forces you to be a little bit more creative when you're packing stuff. It also helps you break out of the idea, this, this kind of notion that a packed lunch is a certain thing. And, and I think that's why a lot of parents get very frustrated and, and overwhelmed by lunch packing after a certain point, because they feel like they've run out of ideas, because they approach it by saying, well, there needs to be a main course or a sandwich at the center of the, of the lunch, and then there should be you know, a fruit side, and then there should be a grain of, you know, I don't take that approach. I just look in the refrigerator and see what we've got. So sometimes I will pack my son some leftover steak, cold, and I will accompany it with some sour cream. And then I'll cut up an apple and I'll smear some peanut butter on that. And then I'll see what else I've got, you know, and, and maybe it's some leftover pasta. So I'll throw that in, in a container too. And, and there's his lunch. There's no main dish. There's, you know, it wasn't built around a theme. It's just bits and pieces that are left over in the refrigerator. And he's happy because he's got variety, which kids like. And I'm using up leftovers. I didn't have to cook anything. I didn't have to do anything except to throw it in a box. In terms of what you put all those containers in, I'm a big believer in a dual compartment lunch bag. So something that has two separate uh, spots to put food in containers. And that way, it's easy to pack hot and cold items. And so if I put a thermos full of, say, chili, I want to put that in one compartment of the lunchbox. And if I want to pack him a cup of yogurt or some sour cream to go with the chili or some fruit that I want to keep cool, then I can put that in the other compartment. So you can put an ice pack in with the yogurt and then just put the thermos into the other container by itself. And, and it just gives you a lot more flexibility in terms of packing. So... How do you really feel about traditional bento boxes? Well, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, I Godspeed to the parents who have the time and the energy to craft cheese so that it looks like a mouse and to carve radishes into roses for their kids' <laughs> lunches. And, you know, and to capture the essence of their favorite movie cartoon character <laughs> on the face of a sandwich, I think, you know, wonderful for them. Good <laughs> luck with their therapy. But I just don't have the time or the energy to do that. I think they, these lunches are beautiful. I think they are works of art, which is I'm not sure why you would then waste works of art on a kid that isn't even looking at it when he or she opens the lunchbox and is <laughs> babbling away to his, his or her buddies all, you know, and barely, you know, focusing on anything and, and is eaten in the like 12 minutes that most kids get to inhale their lunches at school these days. <laughs> and why you would put that much energy into it. But again, you know, maybe there's meds for that. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm not a big fan of that much effort. I'd rather put, I don't think I'd even put that much effort into dinner, but I guess if I'm going to put anything, any sort of effort like that into anything, it's going to be a meal that we're actually sitting down together and enjoying together. It's a lot of pressure. It is. And then it becomes some kind of silly where parents are competing and, and it just gets a little, little silly. Yeah. In Japan, <laughs> apparently it's a, it's a big competition. It's a huge thing. And, you know, because parenting isn't hard enough and there isn't enough competition between kids and families and parents and all this, you know, the social pressure and Facebook perfection and all that. Yeah, we don't have enough of that. Let's we need a little more. Yeah. yeah, let's add to it. Let's <laughs> add it to the lunchbox. That sounds like fun. <laughs> <laughs> So 
So Rachel Ray wrote a glowing forward in this book. How did. did you connect with her? Yeah, well, I've known Rachel because of my day job for many, many years. And when she was, she switched publishers, she switched to Atria, which is an imprint of Simon & Schuster. And as part of her switch to them for her own books, uh, she was given an imprint of her own, Rachel Ray Books. And so she was given the opportunity to select authors that would be published kind of under her banner um, with Atria. And, and, you know, she approached me and she said, you know, we've talked over the years, you, you know, you, you represent a lot of what, uh, what she does and, you know, in, in terms of the demographic that she, she speaks to and the sorts of foods I cook and, and approaches. And she asked, do you have anything? This book is actually an, uh, a product of a blog that I started probably six or seven years ago. And I really had no intention of even doing the blog, never mind turning it into a book. I got the most minimalist blog template I could find. It was like white with a photo in the center, and that was it. And every day I started posting a picture and a couple paragraphs describing what I made for my son's lunches. And within the year, I was on NPR. I was on Martha Stewart. Oh, my I, gosh. You know, it was this kind of stupid thing. It was like <laughs> the whole time I'm like, really? It's just my kids' lunches. And, and I really was a bit befuddled by the the whole thing but I guess it hadn't really been done at that level before and uh, and you know and, and let's you know let's not be stupid here the, the fact of the matter is I'm sure my job title you know helped draw a little bit of attention to yeah, what just I was doing a little. as well <laughs> <laughs> and so I won't I won't pretend it came out of nowhere and so but it, it, in many ways it did because I just didn't think the subject matter merited any attention and so by the time Rachel was getting her imprint, I had been doing the blog for, I don't know, maybe three or four years. And I, again, I hadn't planned on doing a book about it, but, you know, when in chatting with her, it was like, well, you know, gosh, here's, if, if ever I was going to do a book about it, this is the time and this is the imprint and this is the way to do it. And, and she immediately agreed with my concept of what the book should be, that it should be just very visual and just kind of lead you through easy lunch packing ideas. And so it just came from that and then it ended up being the first book that she published under her imprint. Yesterday, for my nine-year-old's lunch, I made your two-minute stir-fry recipe from page 44. Oh, okay, yep. And I, I have to tell you, it was so easy to whip up in the morning as I yep. was doing breakfast. Yeah, well, and that's the idea. I mean, you know, while I rely tremendously on leftovers. I'm not opposed to a few minutes worth of cooking to transform those leftovers, you know. And, you know, one thing I would do a lot of times is if I was going to cook something for breakfast, I would somehow use that to make lunch as well. So if I was, for example, making pancakes, I would make enough and then use extra pancakes as bread for sandwiches. So mm -hmm. I might make a PB&J with pancake bread. Sometimes it's even just a matter of reusing the skillet I used for breakfast. So, and that's that's the case with this stir fry. I would, you know, if I cook eggs or something for breakfast, I before I would wash out the skillet, I would go to the refrigerator and grab whatever I had handy. So that might be leftover pasta. You can actually do a stir fry with, with leftover pasta too. That's very good. And, or leftover rice. Any leftover veggies and meat I have, dump it all in the skillet and toss it around until it's hot, 
crack an egg into it, stir like crazy for a minute, and it's done. Pop it into a thermos, and you've got a stir fry with, you know, sprinkle a little soy sauce on it, and it's good to go. Yeah, it was literally like two minutes. Yeah, and, and that's, and you know, and again, that's why I didn't put a recipe with that, because you don't need a recipe to do that. And people should just kind of, again, go to their refrigerator and see what they've got. Maybe I have broccoli, but maybe you have cauliflower, or you have asparagus, and I have chicken, but you have steak, and, you know, just toss whatever you have in and stir fry it for a minute or two. You haven't even dirtied an extra skillet. Since it's the new year, I wanted to ask you, what was the best thing you ate in 2015? And what food trend can we do without in 2016? I did a a culinary journey last year in, I think it was in May. I went on, I circumnavigated the globe, eating my way around the world. And yeah, I spent three weeks just hopping from one country to the next, eating and eating and eating. And I don't even want to think about how much weight I gained on that trip. And so when I, my favorite meal, the one that stayed with me most, and I ate at Noma while I was um, overseas. I mean, I ate at all these phenomenal world-class restaurants. But my favorite thing that I had was actually, it was at a restaurant, Raleigh in Copenhagen. And it was a risotto, but it was made from sunflower seeds. No really? Rice. Yeah, and it was phenomenal. And they shaved um, a, a cured egg yolk over it. And the grains of the, the sunflower seeds were so tender and so savory in a way that, you know, when you make risotto, it gets its savoriness from any cheese that's yes. in there as, as well as any broth that goes in there. And this, it was clearly, it was getting the savoriness from the seeds themselves, and they were so rich and so tender, but they still had that kind of al dente bite that, that a risotto rice should have, and, and it was phenomenal. For the trend, I, I have been calling for this one, and this is, this is the one that gets the pitchforks outside my house, but <laughs> um, I have been calling for the death of gluten-free for a long yes. time. You know, <laughs> there are a lot of Americans who truly have issues with gluten-free products. And, I mean, I'm sorry, with gluten uh, as an ingredient. Yeah. And, and they have an understandable need and desire for products that are gluten-free, and I wish them nothing but the best. And, and I think that these products have absolutely made their lives easier, and I can totally respect that. <laughs> but, However, <laughs> however, there are an awful lot of people running around claiming that everything has to be gluten-free, and oh my God, they are so much healthier, and they weigh less, and they do this, and they do that, and they just glow every day because they're not eating gluten now, and did you know that gluten is in absolutely everything? And for me, one of the low points in 2015 was when I went to the grocery store to grab some potatoes. And the bag of potatoes was literally labeled gluten-free. No. And I said, really? (laughs) Come on. And so I would like that. I don't want it to go away because I understand a lot of people need these products. (laughs) However, I would like it to simmer down a bit. (laughs) Can it go to the same place with kimchi? One of those places I stopped on my trip was in Korea. and, And I ate some phenomenal food. But and, and kimchi has its place, but it's going to be one of those foods that just doesn't take root with middle America. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, and, and, you know, that's that's a real specific acquired taste. And, and I have enjoyed it many times, but it's not something I'm, I'm expecting to add to the general rotation of my house. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Yeah. <laughs> so 
where can we find you on the web? I am on Twitter and Instagram as JM underscore Hirsch, H-I-R-S-C-H. Great. Well, thanks, JM, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Thanks so much.